Welcome to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're a covenant church located in western Wisconsin, and you can find out more information about us at BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and I want to thank you for listening. Uh, today, um, we're going to be looking at uh, 1 Corinthians first, uh, first teen, 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You've heard this passage before. We're going to spend some time uh, looking at it. Uh, it occurred to me that I've, um, I've spoke on this text a ton, but I've never preached on it at, at church because this is, uh, a lot of people think of this as a wedding text. You only ever hear it in weddings, uh, but we're going to be uh, looking at that because uh, I think this, uh, this passage is all about it's all about legacy, and this month, as we're getting ready to, to celebrate um, what God has done, as we're, as we're remembering what God has done here in this spot for 140 years, um, uh, we've been talking about what it means to leave a legacy of faith, um, a legacy of faith uh, that, that carries on to the next generation, that carries on in our lives, and so uh, we've been thinking about legacy. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to leave a legacy that lasts, um, but since we're reading a, um, uh, what we often think of as a, uh, a wedding uh, passage, uh, I wanted to share one of, my, one of my favorite things that I get to do as a pastor is do, is do weddings. Weddings are, are fun because everybody there is like ready to have a good time. The only problem is um, they're like the part that as the minister's involved in is the part that everybody's kind of ready to get, get over. But... <laughs> But I love it anyway, and one of the, the best things about it is I get to meet with um, couples and do premarital counseling with them and get to know their story, get to know where they come from. I've been meeting with one couple sitting here right now. It's been really fun, um, and, and I love it. Um, but one of the questions uh, that I always ask, that we always talk about in premarital counseling, uh, is a question that the, the person that married Aaron and I um, uh, made us ask, too, uh, and, and this is the question, you know, as you're, think about it back when you were first getting married, uh, we talk about um, where we came from, you know, you talk about, and we'll share a little about what kind of house did you grow up in, what was your mom and dad like, what was your home like, uh, and we'll share with, the, with couples about that. Um, and then uh, the question that I always ask and that we spend some time thinking about and that I hope uh, couples think about, something that I thought about when we got married, is thinking about all of the stuff that you remember in your house growing up all the good and all the not so good, um, what do you want to bring forward into your new home and what do you want to leave behind, uh, right? Because we all come from somewhere. Uh, we all have um, ways that uh, mom and dad were, uh, ways that they interacted, the, the positives of their relationship, the difficulties, the positives of our homes growing up, uh, the hardships. And, and what I tell couples, and I really believe this is true, that if we don't examine those things, we repeat them in destructive ways. And so when you're getting married, I always say this is a chance. You know, we get lots of chances like these to, to stop and think, what do I want in my life, in my marriage, in my home? And what habits and ways of thinking and ways of acting do I, I want to leave behind? And it doesn't mean that you will perfectly do that. Um, but if you're aware of those things, you can at least stop yourself and say, this was a good thing that I learned from my dad, and this was a habit that I have to, to lean against, right? Um, and so as, as we're thinking about, about legacy, you know, a, an important question is, like, what is the thing 
Uh, you know, let's take it a, a step further. Um, when you're gone or when uh, the people that you're around move on from you, what is it that you hope they uh, take from you? What is it that you hope um, stands when you're, when you're gone? You know, we're talking about legacy. Um, what do we want to leave behind for people? Is it, you know, sometimes in, in families it's, you know, uh, you, know you have an inheritance and, and, and families will work so hard. I know so many um, uh, parents and, and grandparents that, that worked really hard to give their kids and their grandkids a life different than theirs. And, and their legacy, when they're gone, they want to leave behind uh, something. Maybe, um, you know, especially in this community and, and even more so back in the day, there was a, a piece of property. There was land. Maybe there was a business or a farm. And you think, the thing I want to carry on past me is this amazing uh, place that I've built. Uh, the work that I've done in this land, and I hope that that lasts past me. Sometimes you're hoping, you know, um, that your kids or your grandkids might have some more financial security. Uh, some families, um, it's, it's education. You know, it's I didn't have this, and I want to make sure that my kids get it, or, 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 their, own, or their own financial security. Sometimes it's, it's values that we want to pass on. What's the one value? Like, if you could only pick one thing um, for your your kids to carry forward when you're gone, like, what, what would it be? Uh, you know, what, what would that be? I know for me, I think about that with, with my kids a lot, because they're little, but they're starting to uh, become who they are, and, and I think, you know, what is it that I want them to remember? What do I want my, my legacy to be? Well, our, our scripture here, um, 1 Corinthians 13, is not... It's, uh, it's not a wedding uh, passage, even though you've only ever heard it in weddings. Um, Paul is not talking uh, in front of an altar uh, at, at a wedding. In fact, he's talking uh, to a church, and the main thing that he's talking about with this community of Christians is, uh, about, is about legacy. It's all about what uh, they are going to leave behind or not. Uh, because like all communities, like all organizations of people, uh, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 13 is, is full of passionate, well-meaning people that care about their church, about their organization. They care about, about their legacy. And, and Paul is writing to them, uh, these passionate followers of Jesus, uh, and because they care so much, <laughs> if you've ever been in an organization where people care a lot, uh, they're at each other's throats. Because everybody cares. Everybody thinks it matters what happens uh, when they gather. Everybody thinks it matters what happens in the community. And so they're, they're in disagreement, and they're struggling. They're, they're kind of at each other. Um, I, I, I like to think of it this way. I, I kind of see three things if you read uh, 1 Corinthians. Everyone, it seems like, in the church in Corinth, they know they're right. <laughs> Everyone knows they're just maybe a little bit closer to God than somebody else. And everybody knows that they have the most important gift, the most important insight, the most important truth to offer. Everyone knows what they think the legacy should be of this church. <clears throat> and the trouble is that anytime two or three are gathered, 
uh, there are four or five different positions and opinions and disagreements. Uh, nobody can agree who's, who's really right. And so Paul uh, is, is talking through, he's dealing with each of these issues that they bring up in 1 Corinthians, but he takes a moment towards the middle in chapter 13 uh, to, to, he kind of tries to, to wipe the table clean. You know, they've brought all these questions, you know, how, how should we be taking communion together? Which spiritual gifts are the most important? Um, uh, what should we believe about this? How should we treat this situation? And Paul, you know, if it's sitting all on a table, you can imagine. Paul, in, in chapter 13, he just like slides everything off the table and onto the floor and says, let's, let's start again. And he does such a good job putting it into perspective, what the true legacy of Christ's church is, uh, that we still read it 2,000 years later, and the, the words ring true, at least they do to me, and we'll get a chance as we, as we walk through this to see it. Uh, he puts it into perspective, because even 2,000 years later, anytime two or three are gathered, um, and we think something's important, we, dis, we disagree, and we get distracted, and Paul says, let me help clarify things for you of what matters and what the legacy of your church and Christ's church ought to be. And so, uh, it starts um, in, in chapter 13, verse 1, uh, and, and he begins um, by saying, uh, talking about good things. He spends some time talking about their highest values and the things that the Corinthians are using to compare themselves with one another to see how good they're doing. Uh, uh, verse, verse 1 through 3, he says, Paul writes, if I speak in the tongues of men, or of angels. This is a, a display of spirituality and closeness to God in the, in the early church. So, so Paul's saying, if I speak uh, in the tongues of men and angels, if I, can, if I can communicate with anyone, if I can get closer to God through this special, beautiful language, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Uh, and it's funny, the, the word for that is actually, it's like... Um, the sense of it is more like a like it's just a piece of a piece of iron, you know. Like I don't know if when I discovered this having kids that our pots were too low in the kitchen, and and they pull Foss used to pull every pot out and you know clang 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 clang. Paul's saying it's it's that it's it's a it's an awful sound. He says if I speak in perfect, beautiful, amazing spiritual language, uh, but without love. There's no beauty, there's no sense, uh, there's, there's no benefit. Now, he continues, if I have the gift of prophecy, uh, the gift of understanding how things are working, about what God's going to do, what God's going to do next, this incredible gift uh, to help direct the church, or, or the gift of prophecy to, to give somebody a word to encourage them, or, or whatever. Paul says, if I have the gift of prophecy, if I, can, if I can see the world, even just for a second, with God's eyes and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have perfect knowledge, if I have a faith that moves mountains, again, if I have such a strong faith that uh, there's nothing stopping me, you know, this is a perfect spiritual person, a Christian, he says, if I have all those things, but if I do not have love, I have nothing. No, 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 he doesn't say that. He says, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Uh, Paul says those, those two things, to sell all you have and, and give it to somebody else to bless them, 
And in the ancient world, in Paul's day, the idea of giving over your body to hardship, of suffering for your faith, um, you know, those amazing, that beautiful spiritual person. You can just imagine the person that he's, that he's uh, depicting, someone who's so close to God, they speak a special language only they and God can understand. Someone who's so close to God uh, that they can see the world the way that God sees it, to see how things work and to see what God might be doing. Someone so close to God that their faith can change the surface of the world. So close to God that they gave everything for somebody else. So close to God that they handed even their body over to be uh, beaten and tortured just like Christ. If I'm the perfect Christian but I do not have love, I gain nothing. I am nothing. Paul lists all the top gifts, all the important things that they're arguing about what matters more. Tongues and prophecy, knowledge, faith, generosity, suffering. Uh, And he puts all those things on center stage and he says, uh, they're, they're worthless. They're less than, than worthless if they're missing that core component. And in our church, in our community, we might put different things on that table. We might use different words for things like uh, tongues or, or prophecy or knowledge or faith, but we all have good things. You know, Paul is not saying that uh, prophecy is bad. He's not saying that tongues are bad. He's not saying that knowledge is bad. He's not saying that you shouldn't have faith. He's not saying you shouldn't be generous or that you shouldn't suffer on someone else's behalf. He's listing the good stuff. And I think we could pile up our own good stuff. Um, you know, doing, doing the right thing, being a morally good, um, thinking the right things, maybe uh, giving good argument, uh, preaching the gospel really well, or, or um, sacrificing for people all the time, always being that person that volunteers. You know, those might go on our table. Paul says, uh, whatever those good things are on your table, uh, if your faith and if those good things um, uh, lack love, they're nothing. If you're displaying amazing worship, if you're speaking important truths to people that they need to hear, if you're able to memorize the Bible, and you can, I, I've, I know people that can, from memory, spit out whole books of the Bible, uh, if you're taking amazing steps of faith, if you're just always doing the right thing, if every time someone comes to you and they need something, you just, you open your wallet and you just dump it out to help them. If you're working really hard to be a good Christian and you're suffering and you feel persecuted, but you're doing it all for Jesus, if, if that's you and you're missing love, all of that stuff is, is, is worthless as far as Paul's concerned. It's, it's, it's destructive, actually. Uh, and this is a hard truth uh, for people that want to follow Jesus because uh, in the church, and, and rightly so, we want to be transformed by the Spirit, to be made new, to do good things and care for people. Uh, but if, if we're doing that and we miss out on, on the love, um, it, it's, it's empty. In fact, it hurts people when it should help people. Uh, Paul continues, um, and this is especially the part that we like at weddings. Uh, what follows is, and I love this, uh, and you can put that next little line up there, Patrick. That'd be awesome. Um, this is the, the most obvious definition of love in all of, all of Scripture. Um, this is why we use it at weddings, because everybody can say, yep, tastes like love. That sounds, that sounds like love. But, but Paul wants to make sure that when he's telling them that if those things are lacking love, they're worthless, that they and us really know what Paul is saying. And so he is like, like kindergarten clear. You can write these on the wall at the kindergarten and all the kids say, yep, I know what love is. So, so he goes with the most obvious definition. And he's trying to say like, you know, sometimes we squint our eyes 
uh, to convince ourselves that something that isn't love is, is love, because we know it's important. Um, sometimes we squint our eyes and we call something impatient or unkind or angry or recriminating. We, we look at that and we say, but, you know, I know I'm being a, a jerk to this person, but it, sometimes to really love somebody, you have to hate them a little bit. <laughs> and Paul's saying, if you're squinting your eyes, uh, uh, this is what love looks like. So, so here we go. Uh, verse 4, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. Again, kindergarten. This is ABCs. Paul says it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Uh, Verse 6, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. This is Paul's way of saying love doesn't get excited when bad things happen to people or get, uh, get excited when people go a little further wrong so that you can feel a little more right. Uh, verse 7, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And so Paul is telling them, and he's telling us, if you're squinting your eyes and trying to convince yourself that something that doesn't look like verses 4 through 7 is love, kindergarten. Kindergarten, this is, this is love, this is what it looks like. This is what it smells like. This is what it tastes like. Don't convince yourself something that doesn't fit in with that is actually somehow love if you, like, squint your eyes hard enough. Uh, he continues on, and this is how he, how he kind of lands, lands the plane in chapter 13, and then he'll go, um, he'll go on to applying these things uh, to their practices, to their practices uh, in the next chapter. He has this little, it almost sounds like a digression. Uh, Paul's talking about how we have a, an incomplete picture in this life sometimes. In verse 11, after he explains what love is, um, oh, and I, I skipped a bit, so it continues in verse 8. It says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. And now he's talking about the gifts, right? This is what love looks like. Without love, they're nothing. Uh, let's go back to the gifts. He says, love never fails. Um, it never goes away, but where there are prophecies, they will end. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's special knowledge of God, it will pass away. Um, Because right now, Paul says, we know partially. Um, Our gifts are are halfway there. We're learning about God, but we're not with God yet. He says, uh, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, when God finally heals the world together, uh, uh, ends ends this world and makes a new one, when completeness comes, uh, what is in part disappears. All the gifts, all the sacrifice, all of the amazing things you do, Paul says, they eventually are, are gone. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. He's saying, this life is like childhood, and the things that seem really important uh, one day aren't going to seem so important, just like the things that seemed really important when you were six or seven years old you can't remember what they were or why they mattered. Paul says our life is like that too. Someday, the really important battles that we're fighting, the really amazing gifts that we have are just going to seem small. Uh, He continues on in verse 12. Uh, He says, for now, we see the world only like a reflection in a mirror. Then, uh, and and again, their mirrors weren't like ours. They were hard to see. They were cloudy. He says, now we see it uh, like through a dirty mirror, a dirty lens. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know partially, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And then he finishes with this last, this last verse, verse 13. 
Uh, and he says, and now these three remain, faith and hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. Um, Paul, Paul is saying this, that everything in this life will eventually boil away. Uh, you know, if you're, you know, you know imagine you're you're like me, and you're trying to make pasta, and so you pour a bunch of water in the bowl, and you know you're supposed to put salt in there, and so you put a bunch of salt in there, and then you turn the stove on high, and then you go back to watching that TV show you were watching and forget that you did that. Nobody's ever done that. What do you find in the pot? Well, you find a, a messed up pot and some salt. <laughs> Paul says one day all the water's gone. All the things that you learn and can do, all the things that you know, and, and all the battles that you fight, they're, they're gone someday, and there's only three things that are left. When all those things are gone, when everything else passes away, when you forget the things that you cared about when you were six years old, and in Paul's case, you know, when you were 60 years old, all that remains is faith, the ability to trust God, hope, the ability to hope for what God is doing uh, in the future, and lastly, he says love, but the greatest of these is love. At the end of the day, the stuff that leaves a legacy is not um, the things that we accomplish. It's not the truths that we speak passionately. It's not the battles that we fight or win. Uh, that's not what um, makes a legacy. What makes a legacy is the love. For Paul, it's the love that makes something good in the end. And without it, it's, it's worthless. For Paul, it's the love that remains when everything else is wiped away. And I'll, I'll give you an example. We had this uh, slide up a little bit earlier. I must have mixed it up in the order. Uh, that second one we had up, Andy, with the tombstones on it. Um, I don't know how often you go out into the, the cemetery next door. Um, some of you go often, and you're watering flowers, and you're um, visiting graves. Um, you know, oftentimes we go out there after someone passes away and we do a service of committal. Uh, on Memorial Day, we all, we all get out there to honor, uh, to honor those that have, have fallen in service and in war um, and, and also to, to decorate the graves of all of our friends and loved ones. And we stand in that cemetery and when you look at those gravestones, what do you see on them? Anybody, what's on a gravestone? This is it. Names, dates, births, uh, whose names are on, on a gravestone? They don't all have them. If you, if you go out to a headstone, whose names are you going to find? The people that are, are buried there. Oftentimes it's, it's what? A husband and a wife. Sometimes there are names of kids on there that were still living at the time of the burial. Um, I, I would submit to you that the thing that you see on those gravestones are uh, evidence of, of love. And not perfect love, uh, not, not people who did everything right, but, but evidence that this person, they loved that person, and those kids, they loved them, and, and their mom and dad, they loved those kids, maybe not perfectly, but the thing that is left when you walk over there is the same thing that is left when everything else in this world boils off. It's, it's the love that's left behind. Because love is at the heart of, uh, of everything God does. That, that's, um, you know, that's why this, this continues, continues on. Uh, we have a, a God who created human beings in his image, and he made the whole world out of, of love. Who else creates a world full of uh, free and complicated and difficult creatures that can't get it right and sometimes hurt each other? Um, 
to have relationship with that, that doesn't love them. Why, why right? Uh, who creates a creature in their own image without love? Who accepts, um, like Jesus did, who accepts weakness and humiliation uh, and death on a cross to save that wayward creation without love? Love is at the heart of who God is. It motivates and drives God's actions and in Christ, that love is, is available to everyone. And, and at our best at human beings, at our best, the, the top thing that we leave behind is the love that we shared for others. And that's when we're closest to who God is. Love is at the heart of who God is. And in Christ, we're invited to receive his love for us freely and pour it out uh, on the lives of others. And if you go next door, you'll see a, a picture, a little picture of what that looks like. Uh, I'll tell you the other thing that you see on many of these graves, especially the recent ones. You see flowers, right? Why do you think somebody bothers, and let me tell you, it's a bother, to come out here twice a week, all summer long, to carry a bottle of water from the little uh, port there all the way out to some grave on the other side of the cemetery to pour water in a plant? Why, why do you think somebody does that? Love, love, uh, maybe a little bit of obligation, maybe trying to be a good, a good son or spouse or whatever, a good, a good daughter, um, but, but love is underneath it. And when you see those plants on there and those little planters, and when someone comes and when fall comes, they take the spring flowers out and they put new flowers in there, it's, it's love that you're seeing out in that field. Deserved or not, returned or not, it's the love that lasts longer than anything else. Because let me tell you, um, now maybe there are a few that have set up an arrangement like this in our cemetery, but none that I know of. Um, an inheritance, a big bank account, uh, it can water flowers for a while, um, but it doesn't water them in the same way, does it? Um, let me tell you, in, in that graveyard, it's not the great deeds or the awesome ideas or the battles won that, that water a, a plant on somebody's grave. It's the love. It's the love that makes that beautiful. It's the love uh, that lasts behind. It's the last thing that anybody forgets about someone else, and God doesn't forget. And that love makes an impact throughout generations and generations. Uh, at Bethel, uh, a few years ago, we went through a, a process to uh, to, to pray together about what God wanted to do with this church. Uh, There's a lot to it, uh, but one part of it, a group of our people uh, got, got together to pray and read Scripture and try and find a story in Scripture that reminded them of Bethel and what we were going through. And so they, they prayed through all kinds of things. In fact, Joanne Farrell sitting... Oh, no, she's, she stepped out, so I'm safe. Uh, Joanne Farrell, who was, who was in here earlier, she's probably getting stuff ready in the other room. Um, she was a part of that committee. She helped bring those people together. And the, and the chapter they, they found, the story of Bethel they found, uh, some of you probably remember, was Revelation chapter 2, um, verse 1 through 7. Uh, Revelation 2, 1 through 7 talks about uh, a church in a city called Ephesus um, that when Paul had visited them was known for their deep love for one another. Uh, uh, Revelation lets us know that that over time, like many organizations full of loving people, uh, they kept doing the good things that they were doing, but they started to uh, forget the love that God had for them and had for others. 
And when Joanne and the team sat down, they thought, you know, there's something about this story um, that reminds us of, of Bethel. There's something about that story that reminds us uh, that the main thing that matters uh, needs to be remembered from generation to generation because it's not about the beautiful things that we can do. It's not about the amazing sacrifices that we can make. It's about the love. And so uh, we, we highlighted this verse as a church and we focused on Revelation 2.4. It says, uh, it starts talking about all the good things that the church in Ephesus does. And then in verse 4 it says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. That's a reminder. And, and at that moment, that group together, and when we were struggling with all of those kinds of questions and battles, and what does it mean to be a good church and to do the right thing, at some point we had, had, had lost that love, and we needed a reminder. And let me tell you, um, it, it worked. Because when I talk to people that come to visit this church, when I talk to people that are a part of this church, uh, that join this church, let me tell you, they, they don't tell me um, about how nice the building is, even though the building's really nice. Um, sometimes they do, but the people that stay, the people that stay, they don't say, Pastor, I'm here because the building is beautiful. And they don't even say, for those of you uh, old-timers who've been here a few years, they don't even say, I'm, I'm here because you're no longer projecting the song words on top of the cross. They don't, they don't say that. They don't say, oh man, I just love the, the color of the carpet or the pews or whatever. They don't say that. Uh, when people tell me why they're a part of this church and why they continue to connect to this church, and I'm talking people that are new, and I'm talking people that have been here for 50 years, uh, they don't talk about the, the great worship. They don't talk about the great programs. Um, they don't talk about the preaching, obviously. <laughs> uh, Thank you for laughing at that one. Um, they don't talk about anything else. The thing they talk about is, is the love. They say, you know, the first time I came to this church, someone learned my name and welcomed me. They say, one time I sat down at a table out there in the atrium all by myself with, with a cup of coffee and 25 different bars, and, and they didn't let me sit there by myself. They say, somebody invited me to coffee. Somebody um, made me a prayer shawl when I was in the hospital. Someone invited me to a Bible study. Somebody cut my firewood. Somebody called me. Somebody slid over in the pew when I came to sit down in the room for me. It's about the love, isn't it? It's about the love. And if this church is going to continue uh, following God where he's going, we need to remember what's at the heart. And if we're able to do that, I believe that this church will always have a legacy of love in the lives of people in this community. Amen? Amen. And so here's, here's our last thing. This is our, this is our love test. This is one way that we can listen to what God maybe is saying in 1 Corinthians 13 and try and be faithful uh, and encouragement for all the things that we do. Uh, we can ask ourselves three questions when I'm speaking to this person, when I'm doing this job, when I'm taking on this responsibility, is it motivated by love? As in, am I doing this not because I feel like I have to or somebody's got to do it and I'm angry? Nobody's ever done anything around here because they were, like, annoyed, right? No, never. Never this guy either. Don't worry. Um, that's the first question. What's the motivation? Am I doing this out of love for God and love for people or not? The second question, is it powered by God's love? 
Is God's love active in this, or am I trying to force it all by myself? And finally, and I think this one might actually be the most important, because this is where many of us, myself uh, more than most, um, slip up. Because uh, something isn't love just if we are trying to love somebody. And it's not love uh, just because, um, you know, God is helping us do it. God helps us do a lot of things. At the end of the day, for something to really be love, most of the time, 99.999% of the time, it must be received like love. And if you find yourself loving people and people are consistently telling you that it doesn't feel like you're loving them, an important question needs to be asked. Because, right, love uh, isn't, isn't well-meaning or um, following um, or, or, or always correct um, or, or sometimes it just needs to taste a little bit like hate. No, right, love is patient and kind and it doesn't envy. It forgives. It keeps no records of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. If love isn't received uh, like love, we have to ask ourselves by, uh, by the people who are receiving it, why is that? Is it really, is it really love? Remember, um, we are loved uh, by God not because of what we do or who we are, and he invites us to love others that same way. We're invited uh, to receive the love from him that built the earth that became human, that died on a cross, that can't be held by a tomb, and that promises to sustain us not just in this life, but in the next one when all the important things seem small and childish. If we want that love that lasts, we have to be willing to accept it. We just have to say, uh, we just have to say yes, because God knows that love can't be forced on somebody else. So God offers, he died, he rose again on our behalf, and he says, here's your chance to say yes to me, to say, yes, God, I have gone the wrong way, and I need you. Yes, God, my faith is in nothing but the person of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and say, yes, God, I want you to make me new. Would you pray with me? Lord God, you have given us so many good gifts as individuals, as Christians, as your church. You have blessed us abundantly with skills and ideas and important thoughts and and valuable, incredible gifts. But we know that those things are only worthwhile if they're powered by your love. So Lord, today we ask that you remind us of our first love, that you help us not to forget what love looks like, the way that you loved us and continue to love us when we fail and though we're nothing, and that we would share that love with the people you put in our path. We thank you, Lord, that all we need to do is turn to you and say yes to be made new and transformed by your incredible love. In your name we pray, amen. Amen? Let's uh, conclude our service in praise. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. Thanks for listening. I want to invite you to join us in worship Sundays at 10 a.m., both in person or online at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great day.